of anything else. It changes everything. Every level of society is changed in revival. It will start in the church because God needs laborers to go out into the world. But after that, it starts impacting society. It will affect the morality of society. It will put families back together. It will even cause government officials to be changed, as we'll see in just a few minutes. And certainly we need some uh, government officials to be changed. It will put families back together, like I said. It will even positively affect the economy of the nation. So if we want to see real change in America, we shouldn't look to social programs. We shouldn't look to politicians. We shouldn't look to economics. We need to be praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We need to be praying for revival in America. So we're going to look briefly in the Bible and a couple of revivals in history to see what true revival is and what kind of changes revival brings. Now remember, as we look into the Word, anything that God has ever done in the past in His Word, He will do again. Not only is He willing to do it, He's able to do it. So I want us to start in Jonah chapter 1. This is probably the greatest or one of the greatest examples of revival that I can find in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. And in case my version doesn't read exactly like yours, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I hear pages turning, so I'll give you a moment. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, before we're quick to criticize Jonah, we have to understand something about the Ninevites. They were a cruel people, a ruthless people. If they captured someone in battle, they would torture them to death. So it would be like if the Lord uh, sent an angel into your living room and said, I'm sending you to preach in North Korea, or I want you to go preach to the Taliban. You know, we'd probably have a few second thoughts ourselves. So Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord, but how many of us know God has a way of getting our attention? And so the Bible says that a great fish came and swallowed Jonah. And you know, critics for years have been saying that that's not possible. But do you realize just recently, two divers were swallowed by whales. One happened off of Cape Cod here in the United States, and another happened in South Africa. And the last one that happened in South Africa was actually caught on camera. So, uh, once again, the Bible proves itself to be true. Amen. Let's take up the story in chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now imagine what he must have looked like. I don't know if Jonah had a chance to clean up after being in the belly of the whale, but he was a foreigner. And here he is walking through the city, just yelling over and over and over one sentence. Now, if we saw somebody like that today, we'd probably call the police and think that they're mentally deranged and have them locked up. But look what happened. Verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast 
and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Now skip to verse 10. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. I want you to think about it. One sentence under the anointing caused an entire city of 120,000 people to repent. From the king all the way down to the pauper living in that city. What kind of anointing would do that? And do you realize that anointing is still in the earth today? It hasn't gone anywhere because the Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. And that anointing is still available today. In fact, I believe it's even more available to us today than it was to Jonah because Jesus has been crucified, buried, risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has come. We have a complete version of the Bible. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the name of Jesus. It's more available today. The anointing to reach an entire city is still in the earth today. And some minister, some group of believers is going to tap into that anointing and see their whole city saved. Will it be you? Question to consider. So what does true revival look like? It looks like entire cities. Every person in that city turning to God. And in this last great revival that we've got our toes in the edge of, I believe we're going to see entire cities come to the Lord. Now let's skip over into the New Testament. I want to look at just one example in the ministry of Jesus. And of course we could preach till the end of time on the ministry of Jesus. But let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 29. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29. It says, And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, that word in the King James, if you're looking at it, is maimed, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now notice, first of all, it wasn't just one multitude. It was great multitudes, plural. Now looking around the room tonight, we don't have a multitude here. (laughs) But if I think about multitudes, great multitudes, I think about stadiums full of people. I mean, this wasn't just a handful. This, This was humongous crowds following Jesus around. And it says, the lame, the blind, the mute, and the maimed were healed. I want to focus on that word maimed. In the Greek, that word is kulos. It's the same word that's found in Matthew 18, 8, when Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. For it's better to enter into life kulos, maimed, than to enter into into hell whole. So kulos means missing a body part. So there were people in those great multitudes that were missing body parts. That word can also mean mutilated. So there were people in the crowd that had limbs that had been mutilated through various kinds of accidents. So in other words, Jesus was performing creative miracles. Creative miracles. So what does revival look like? It looks like creative miracles. The maimed and the disfigured being made whole. 
And I believe we need to get ready here in America for a wave of creative miracles. And you might say, well, why? Because people in America have become so jaded. I mean, as we lived on the mission field for 18 years, we would come back every summer because we had Bible school for nine months. We would turn our church over to some of the young men that we had trained, and we would come back and itinerate in the summer to raise money to get through the next year. And as we would come back and just observe, listen to, to a little bit of TV, maybe a little bit of radio, read a couple of newspapers, I mean, we could see people are, are less and less concerned about spiritual things. In fact, they're antagonistic. I mean, there are people, many people today, that absolutely hate the church, hate God, hate anything to do with Jesus Christ. And so it's going to take something amazing, something astounding to get their attention. And I believe creative miracles is one of the ways that we'll get their attention. When people start growing on arms and legs that didn't have any, when people with disfigured faces start getting new faces, it's going to fill up our meeting places. So are you getting a better idea of why I said that few of us living today have ever seen a true revival? We've had many wonderful moves of God in the past, but we've yet to see a true revival where whole cities are saved, where creative miracles are taking place. Let's look in Acts chapter 5. You know, many people would look and say, well, yes, but that was the ministry of Jesus. And after all, Jesus was the Son of God and yada, yada, you know what they say. Well, let's see about the early church, their ministry. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 14. It said, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also the people in the, from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing those who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were, what's the next word? Nope, that's not the next word. Well, in my New American Standard, it's not the next word. They were all being healed. Now, the reason I use the New American Standard is because it's close to the Hebrew and the Greek in which the, the Bible was originally written. They were all being healed. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Ghost lie? Would he exaggerate the truth? Well, he's the one who inspired Luke to write the book of Acts. And if he said they were all being healed, that means they were all being healed. It wasn't just people from Jerusalem, but also people from the surrounding cities. And somebody might say, well, these were just small villages, so there weren't very many people. There was a Roman historian, the greatest Roman historian, in fact, who lived in that day and time. He said at that period in time, the city of Jerusalem had a population of 600,000. And you add to that all the people from the, the little villages and cities roundabout coming into Jerusalem, and you consider... The, the level of medical care that they had in that day, the streets of Jerusalem must have been filled with the sick. And yet the Bible says they were all being healed. Now, lest we think that this was a one-time occurrence, you know, I was up teaching in our Bible school in Prague, and I heard myself say, does that ever happen to you, Pastor? You hear yourself say something, you go, I didn't know that, or I'm not sure if that's even right. 
And so I went home to look, look it into my New Testament because I didn't want to teach our students things that weren't right. And so I looked into the Greek New Testament and every single one of these verbs in this passage of Scripture, they were bringing the sick into the Jerusalem, they were laying them in the streets, and they were all being healed. Every single one of those verbs is in the Greek continuous tense. And let's have a little quick lesson in Greek. There's various tenses of Greek verbs. One tense indicates that action started, it continued for a period of time, and then it was over. Like you might come call a friend tomorrow and say, I went to church last night. Well, church started at 7. It was over at 3 a.m. Not really. <laughs> it continued for a period of time, and then it ended. But if you call that same friend and you said, I go to church every time the doors are open, which is a good practice, then that would be in the Greek continuous tense. In other words, it's repeated action. It happens over and over again. All of these verbs are in, in the repeated action tense of a Greek verb. So they were continually bringing these people in. They were continually laying them in the streets and they were continually all being healed. Every single person. No wonder James had to write in James chapter 5 and verse 14 and ask the question, is there any sick among you? Now, I don't know about you, but I've grown up in church since I was, you know, this tall, which was a long time ago. And uh, I've never been in a church yet. We've been in churches all around the world. I've never been in a church yet where you would have to ask that question. There are always sick among us. But apparently, in that day and time, the early church was operating in such a high level of healing that you would have to ask the question if perchance there might be a sick person present. How many of you have ever heard of Catherine Kuhlman? She had a tremendous healing ministry in the 60s and early 70s. She prophesied before she died and went to heaven. She prophesied that before Jesus returns in the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which of course we know that means where people are born again, that you would not be able to find one sick person before Jesus comes back. And you know what? It's easy for me to believe that because of what we just talked about that was happening in the book of Acts with the early church. So what does revival look like? It looks like all the sick being healed continually. This is what we can expect when full-blown revival hits. Now, some people might still be skeptical. And I want to tell you something. I don't want you to think we're bragging. I'm bragging on me and Larry because, like Brother Hagen used to say, I can't heal a, a fly's eyeball and a gnat's wing, I think he used to say. But we've seen it ourselves in our own ministry. At least four times that I can remember, we've been in places where every single person was healed. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about a whole prayer line. Just go down the prayer line and one person after the other is healed. So don't tell me that can't happen anymore. But the day is, is soon approaching when we're going to see this happen in every service. All the sick are going to be healed. And think about when word gets out to people in the world, man... Everybody in the church is healed. Let's get ourselves there. And as soon as they walk in, they're healed. That, I mean, we're talking revival here. Let's look over in Acts 19 at the ministry of Paul. Acts chapter 19. Now, in my opinion, this, this gives an example of the greatest revival in the New Testament. The, the pinnacle of Paul the Apostle's ministry. I'll summarize the first few verses just for time's sake. Paul came to Ephesus. He found 12 men there. 
they were believers, but they weren't born again. They had just heard about the baptism of John. And so Paul taught them about Jesus. He got them saved. He uh, laid hands on them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And now let's take up the rest of the story in verse 8. And he, speaking of Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Verse 9. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So in other words, Paul started a Bible school. Verse 10. This is what we're getting to. This took place for two years so that there's that word again. I don't know if it's in the King James, but it's in my version. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now I have to ask that question again. Is the Holy Ghost a liar? Would the Holy Ghost exaggerate the truth? Well, now Asia in that day and time was not the continent of Asia like we know it now. You know, China, Vietnam, Cambodia. But it was a province of the Roman Empire. It was one of the largest provinces of the Roman Empire. And it covered 50,000 square miles, which is about the size of the modern-day nation of Greece. So in two years' time, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, it doesn't say they all got saved, but they all had the opportunity to because they heard the word of the Lord. Think about it. They had no modern aids of any kind to help them spread the gospel. They didn't have any modern means of transportation. You had foot, you had you know, donkey or cart, something like that. But no airplanes, no cars, no, not even bicycles, I don't think. The Chinese invented those, but I don't remember when. Um, no motorcycles. They had no modern means of communication, no internet, no cell phones. Younger people in the crowd, you know, their eyes usually get big. They cannot fathom a world without internet and cell phones. But I faintly remember that world. It was a lot quieter back then, too. Um, they, they didn't have any modern means of printing anything because Mr. Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, wouldn't even be born until, like, uh, what, the 6th century A.D., something like that. The only way they could, could copy anything would be by hand. So... No modern means of, of communication like the telephone or any telegraph, TV, anything like that. So how on earth did this group of believers reach a 50,000 square mile region so that every person in that region had a chance to hear the word of the Lord in two years' time? You might say, well, it was just small villages. You know, I, I was in seminary. In a, I won't say what denomination, a denominational seminary. And they started trying to explain away all the miracles in the Bible. And some of it was just ridiculous. Like, you know, when the Red Sea was crossed, it was just shallow water, ankle deep. Well, then the greater miracle took place because they all, the whole of, of Pharaoh's army drowned in ankle deep water. And just, you know, one thing after another like that. And I would just sit there and just, you know, laugh under my breath. Because you can't explain away what the Bible says. So this was no small area. It was heavily populated. The city of Ephesus, where Paul started, had a, a population of 300,000 people, and it was not the largest city in the area. All seven churches in the book of Revelation were founded out of this move of God. 
So great was the revival here that Ephesus became the new epicenter of the church for the next 200 years, replacing Jerusalem and Antioch. So this was a massive move of God. So how did all this happen? Like I asked before, how were these believers able to reach a 50,000 square mile area, heavily populated, in two years' time? Well, I think verse 11 at least gives us a clue. It says, And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. This phrase, extraordinary miracles, the only place that it appears in the New Testament is here. You can't even find that phrase in the ministry of Jesus. What is an extraordinary miracle? How many have heard of Rick Renner? He's a modern-day Greek scholar. Here's what he says. He says, the grammar of the Greek phrase, God was, ex was performing extraordinary miracles, indicates a continuous, almost unending flow of creative miracles. Here we are again, back to creative miracles. You know, uh, our brother that we're getting ready to go preach for in Murphy, North Carolina, he's a firefighter. He goes all over the place. He goes out west. He even went down to Australia when they were having fires. And what is the one thing that firefighters fear the most when they're fighting a big fire like that? Anybody know? Wind. That's exactly right. Because they can have a fire almost out. And the wind can pick up one spark, carry it 10 miles away, and start a brand new fire. And I believe that these creative miracles were like wind behind the fire of the preaching of the gospel that caused it to spread rapidly throughout that entire area. What does revival look like? It looks like every single person in entire regions of the world hearing the gospel as extraordinary miracles take place confirming the word. Well, let's move on to some more modern times. Right here in America. Let's come here. Because that's where we live. The first great awakening took place in America before we were even a nation. In the 1730s and 40s. And during that first great awakening, 80% of the population of America joined a full gospel, or not a full gospel, but a gospel preaching church. 80%. Imagine that happening today. Oh, I am imagining it. I'm dreaming about it. I'm praying about it. But then, a wave of rationalism came over from Europe as immigrants came, came from Europe. And uh, things got really bad here. I mean, we think things are bad now, and they are, but they've been worse. <laughs> when rationalism took hold on the campuses of the universities, and isn't it interesting how the enemy seems to like to start on the campuses of universities? But anyway, uh, they would hold public Bible burnings where they would burn the Bible. They had uh, public mock communion services where they would take the elements of the Lord's Supper and, and treat them in a mocking way, just make fun of it. Christians who were meeting together like we are tonight, suddenly the doors would open and in would come an angry mob, start beating up the Christians, threaten to kill the pastor, burn the church building down. And for a while, even here in America, the church went underground. Now, we've ministered in Eastern Europe for almost 18 years, and we've heard all their stories about how the church went underground during communism, but the church went underground here in America. 
before the second great awakening. But God always has an answer for everything the devil does. And believe me, he's got an answer for what's going on in our country right now. In that day, God sent a second great awakening in the early 1800s. This was the time when America was pushing, west, excuse me, <laughs> pushing westward into the frontier. And so it started in places like Cane Ridge, Kentucky, where 20,000 people gathered without any announcements, any printed material, just spontaneously, 20,000 people came together with their covered wagons, their kids, their cattle, whatever. They just came together. And so word was spread throughout the crowd. If, there's, if you're a preacher, find a stump, the back of a wagon, something. Get up on it and begin to preach the gospel. And as they preached, the Holy Ghost would just th sweep through the crowd and people would be felled like trees cut down. And they would be weeping and trembling and crying out to God for repentance, forgiveness of their sins. And this meeting led to other camp meetings. And it spread throughout the nation. Some of the leading preacher, preachers in the Second Great Awakening included men like Charles Finney. Anybody ever heard of Charles Finney? He ministered primarily in upstate New York. And he would go into a city and almost the whole city would be saved. Bars would be turned into churches. Uh, prisons would be emptied or jails would be emptied out because there was no crime. And then there was a guy named Peter Cartwright. He was a circuit rider, and he went throughout the frontier. And he personally baptized over 12,000 people, one man. Both of those great awakenings changed the spiritual and even the natural condition of America. But possibly the single greatest revival since New Testament days started in 1904 in the small nation of Wales, which is a part of the United Kingdom. It started with fewer than 20 people praying. I don't know about you, but that's an encouragement to me. Fewer than 20 people. In a nation of 1 million people, there were 100,000 converts in the first six months. Think of that. 100,000 in six months. So naturally, I wanted to know if we had a revival just on the scale of the Welch revival, which I think will have something far greater, but if we had a revival just on the scale of the Welch revival in America, what would it look like? So, of course, I started in Tulsa because that's where I live. And I just went on the Internet and I started looking up populations of various cities until I got to approximately 10% of the population of America. So if 10% of our population was saved in six months' time, here's what it would look like. Every single person in Tulsa, Oklahoma being saved along with every single person in New York City, Los Angeles, Houston, Dallas, Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, San Antonio, San Diego, and Miami, all in six months' time. Brothers and sisters, if God has done that in the past, he can do it again. He wants to do it again. If we'll pray like they prayed, he'll do what he did. Small groups of Christians in Wales who had met for, like we are tonight, suddenly would be joined by hundreds of unbelievers. And they didn't even know how the unbelievers found out they were meeting. The city streets in Wales were filled day and night with people rejoicing over their newfound salvation. At three in the morning, they'd go knocking on door to door down the street, knocking on doors, waking people up to tell them what Jesus had done for them. Families were put back together. Alcoholism had been rampant in the nation, dividing families, but families were put back together. Jails were emptied. 
government leaders resigned their positions to join in on the revival. Glory to God. We need revival in Washington, D.C. and some other places too. Before the revival, soccer had been as popular in Wales as NFL football is here in America. But the stadiums were empty because the people would rather go to the revival meetings than go to the soccer, soccer matches. Many of the leading soccer stars were converted and turned into evangelists. The Spirit of God would come to rest on a village as people were sleeping in the middle of the night. And when that presence of God would fall on the village, sinners would get out of bed, fall on their knees, and begin to cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness. And then that same presence would lift and move over to the next village. Just village after village after village like that. So you might wonder, how could God move in America? The same way. Amen. The same way. The Welch Revival swept Europe. It sent missionaries all over the world and heavily influenced Azusa Street here in our own country. Starting in 1906 in, at Azusa Street, which was in Los Angeles, for almost nine years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the meetings continued uninterrupted. Imagine a meeting here in your church for nine years, Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There was a, one of the leaders of Azusa Street later said, he said, I would rather live six months in that presence of God. I would trade 50 years of my life for six months in that presence of God. Think about it. What could it have been like that a man would be willing to give up 50 years of his life just to be in that presence for six months? Miracles of all kinds took place. Arms and legs grew on. Uh, organs that had been replaced or the people were born without were replaced. The Shekinah glory would appear in the building like a pillar of fire, sometimes going out through the roof so the neighbors would see it and call the fire department. But when they got there, there was no fire. Not, not natural fire anyway. The, the cloud of glory would get so thick that the children would bring jars with them to the meeting to try to capture some of it in, you know how kids are, capture some of it in a jar and take it home with them. Men and women called to the mission field, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and received complete downloads of the language of the nation where they were going. Imagine, we are living so far below our privilege. They would get complete downloads. They could read it, write it, and speak it. In fact, when the Holy Ghost was first outpoured here in America at a brother, not Par Parham, no. Yeah, Charles Parham School in Topeka, Kansas. The first woman that received the baptism in the Holy Spirit got a complete download of Chinese. And they called in a native Chinese speaker that checked her writing, listened to her speak, and said it was all perfect Chinese. Can you imagine? It's one thing to speak it. It's another thing to write it. I mean, to me, Chinese looks like they put, dipped a chicken's foot, excuse me if there's anybody Chinese watching, dipped a chicken's foot in ink and let it run across the page. And this woman was writing perfect Chinese. Before 1900, there were very few people in the world that were baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. We just take it for granted today. But it was very rare in that day. But Azusa Street spread Pentecost around the world. People came from other nations. And you know, the meeting never got above about 100 people because the building was small. And they would come from other nations and receive the Holy Spirit and take it back to the place where they came from. And today, Pentecost is the fastest growing branch 
of Christianity in the world. Something like 500 million Pentecostals. So that brings us to today. Here we are in America about 100 years after Azusa Street and we stand at a crossroads in this country. Every day we witness our nation crumbling morally, politically, spiritually, socially, in every other way. I was talking to a friend recently who's a little bit older than I am and we were just talking to each other about you know current things happening and, and she asked me, she said, did you ever believe that we would live to see this nation in the situation that it's in now? I said, no, you couldn't have made me believe that 20 years ago. We have to have revival. Amen. Revival is the only hope for America. And if you don't believe me, let me ask some questions. Apart from a major move of God, what is the answer for the drug problem? You know, when I was a teenager, we didn't have a drug problem in our town. You know, only big places like Los Angeles and Houston and New York City had a drug problem. But now you can't go into the smallest farming community but what you find a drug problem there. What's the answer for the spread of immorality and sexual perversion in our nation that we're seeing? How can the family unit be rebuilt? What's the answer to widespread political corruption? Civil unrest? What's the solution for abortion? When some are even proponents of murdering fully born babies. What's the answer for that? Tell me one place where parents can take a Down syndrome child and see that child made whole. Or like I mentioned earlier, somebody with a disfigured face get a new one. I mean, we have some wonderful healing ministries in our country and other countries around the world. But I don't know of any place where those kinds of miracles are taking place on a regular basis. What do you think, though, is going to happen when we start seeing miracles like that take place? We were in... Um, Lithuania, a number of years ago. We had just moved to Poland, so it must have been like 98. And some missionaries in Latvia invited us to come with them and help them hold a, a conference in Lithuania. And so it was, it was a, a Pentecostal group of people. And there was an elderly man that sat on the front row, and he had been the head of that Pentecostal denomination years ago. I wasn't pointing to you. <laughs> that man over there. <laughs> And so he had been the head of that Pentecostal denomination years before, and now his son was the leader. And he sat there and cried through every meeting. And I thought, well, does he not like what we're teaching, or what is the deal? And so finally, one day at lunch, we grabbed our Russian interpreter, and we went over and sat in front of him, and, and we just asked him, sir, you know, why are you crying? And he started up again. And he said, when I was a young man, and I was the head of this denomination. He said, we had a mighty move of God here in Lithuania. And he said, it was so powerful that the Spirit of God would pick people up and bodily move them through the air and sit them down on the other side of the building. And he said, I'm crying because I don't think I'll ever see that again. So we encouraged him all we could. But can you imagine? Can you imagine being in a meeting where people are being transported through the air over to the other side of the building? Do you think that we would have any trouble filling, filling this building if word got out in the community that things like that were happening? I, signs and wonders. You say, well, do, I can't find that in the Bible. Well, some of the prophets in the Old Testament were translated. Philip was translated from one city to another or from one place to another. Why not? God is going to 
to put on a show, and I don't say that in a disrespectful way at all. He is going to put on a show to this unbelieving generation. They're going to see things that absolutely blow their minds and arouse their curiosity enough to get them to a place where they can hear the gospel. What do you think is going to happen when the power of God hits this nation so hard that people start falling out in the streets having visions of heaven and visions of hell? It happened in Maria Woodworth Edder's ministry. Sometimes for a radius of 50 miles around where she would be preaching, people would be walking down the street or just sitting in their homes, minding their own business. They, weren't, they didn't even know there was a meeting going on. And suddenly they just fall out under the power of God, have a vision of heaven or a vision of hell, and get up and try to find someone who could explain to them what had just happened to them. How hard would it be to witness if you walk into Walmart and somebody comes up to you and says, I just had a vision of hell last night. Now, I don't want to go there. Can you tell me what to do to not go to that place? How hard would it be to witness? Well, we're going to see things like that happen. I've heard in my spirit so many times as I've been praying, revival will be the salvation of the nation. Revival will be the salvation of the nation. All we need is for revival to break out in just one place, whether it's America or some other country. But with social media the way it is, it would spread worldwide in no time. The news would spread like wildfire. I want you to get hungry to see that revival, to see it come to your city, to see it come to Tennessee, to see it come to the USA. Brother Seymour was the leader of Azusa Street, and he prophesied in 1906 that in about 100 years, there would come a revival to America much greater than Azusa Street. And it would last until the return of Jesus. Now he was on the west coast. On the opposite coast, on the eastern seaboard, there was a minister named Charles Parham. And he prophesied almost the same thing. Almost exactly the same thing. Now you got to remember, they didn't have internet and, you know, TV and all of that. Word didn't spread from one coast to the other like it does now. In 1913, Maria Woodworth Etter, unaware of these two men's prophecies, prophesied virtually the same thing. So it's been prophesied that a mighty revival is coming to America. I'm going to close by reading you two prophecies. Is everybody okay? You need to stand up and stretch. Kick your legs. Wake up. How many heard of William Branham? He was probably the leading prophet of the healing, healing revival. And in 1965, six months before he died, he gave this prophecy. He said, well, my season has come to a close. I've been in this season where I've laid hands on people one at a time, and I've seen blind eyes open, cancers disappear, the lame walk, and oh, it was wonderful. But another season is coming, and this season is going to be a teaching and revelation of the word of Christ, who we are in him and who he is in us. Well, we had that teaching movement, right? This teaching season will go for a while and then it will come to a close. And God is going to take every move of God in history and even what we witnessed and saw in Bible days, he's going to put it all together in one great Holy Ghost bomb and drop it on planet Earth and the nations will rock and reel with the power of God like never before seen. And major TV news networks are going to show arms and legs being created. Turn on CNN, 
Larry likes to call it Communist News Network. CNN, and they're showing arms and legs being grown onto people that don't have any. And eyes being put into act, back into eye sockets. And limbs stretching out, and the dead being raised. Preachers will simply speak the word. Now, I'm going to interject Angela into here. I know this was William Branham's prophecy, but I believe it won't just be preachers. I believe this last move is going to be a move of the believers. Those sitting in the pews are going to come out of those pews and they're going to be active in the, in the work of the ministry. Why? Because there's like almost 8 billion people on planet Earth. There's not enough preachers to reach that many people. It's going to take all the believers doing their part. So preachers, insert believers, will simply speak the word and blindness will leave. There will be so many people that no auditorium, no church, no arena will be able to hold the people and no tent. They will even stand in the open fields. Now we know a minister um, in Tulsa. Uh, he's just a person of prayer. He prays like five or six hours a day. And he told us some time ago, and I don't know that he'd ever read this prophecy or not, but he told us some time ago, he said, I have seen in the spirit every building, every church, every major building in the city that would hold anybody in Tulsa. So packed full, so there was no more room, and people were out in the fields. He said, I've seen the roads in the interstates leading into Tulsa so packed full of cars with people bringing the sick to be healed that the cars were stopped and they couldn't move any further. And so people were just leaving their cars and bringing their sick out into the open fields to get into the presence of God so they could be healed. So Branham said, concluding this one, something is coming. Every mantle, every anointing, every commissioning that has ever existed will be poured into that day. That day is our day, brother and sister. It's our day. One more. Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard of him? So, Branham prophesied that there would come a teaching revival, which we've already had, and then after that, a mighty move of God. So, Smith Wigglesworth prophecy. This was given in 1939. Um, and it's told by Lester Sumrall. In fact, I think you can find it in the back of one of his books. In 1939, World War II was about ready to break out. Lester Sumrall was in his 20s. He was working in a Bible school in England and had gotten to know Smith Wigglesworth by reading his books and hearing about his ministry. So for several years, he had been going over and visiting Smith Wigglesworth in his home. One day, Sumrall went to tell Smith Wigglesworth that a police officer had come to his door and told him that everyone who was not an English citizen would have to leave the country. Hitler was threatening to come across the English Channel, so all foreigners had to leave. The young Sumrall explained to the elder minister, I came to say goodbye to you. I appreciate all you've put into me. There stood a young minister in his 20s and a man in his 80s who wanted to give it to somebody. Oh, to have been there on that day, right? Smith Wigglesworth told the young minister, I want to bless you. So he held him and said, Lord, everything that I have, bless him with it. Give it to him. Smith Wigglesworth started weeping as he pulled Brother Sumrall in closer. Now it switches over and Sumrall is telling it from his point of view. He was a big man, and as he held me close to him, his tears rolled off his face and hit me in my face. Wigglesworth cried, saying, I probably won't see you again now. My job is almost finished. As he continued to pray, he cried. 
I see it. I see it. Brother Somerall asked, what do you see? What do you see? He said, I see a healing revival coming right after World War II. It'll be so easy to get people healed. I see it. I see it. I won't be here for it, but you will be. And there was a healing revival right after the war. He continued to prophesy, I see another one. I see people of all different denominations being filled with the Holy Ghost. That was the charismatic revival. God raised up people during that era like the full gospel businessmen. So, so far, he's two for two. Prophesied the healing revival at the end of World War II, followed by the charismatic revival. Then Brother Wigglesworth continued, I see another move of God. I see auditoriums full of people coming with notebooks. There will be a wave of teaching on faith and healing. We did experience that wave, he saw, and we call it the Word of Faith movement. Now he's three for three. Then he prophesied, after that, after the third wave, and he started sobbing. I see the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. The ministry gifts will be flowing on this planet earth. I see hospitals being emptied out. And they will bring the sick to the churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. <laughs> I want us to get so hungry to see that revival that we will do whatever it takes to get it here. And you might say, well, what can I do? I don't stand behind the pulpit. I'm not a five-fold ministry gift. You know, I've studied revival for years. And I've never yet seen a revival start that wasn't preceded by prayer. And that's what you can do. Every one of us can do it. The youngest believer to the oldest believer, we can pray. So my challenge to you is to pray for revival. And if you're already praying for it, which I suspect that you are, keep it up. Amen. Be encouraged. This is not a figment of somebody's imagination. This has been prophesied over the years by reputable ministries with a track record that's been proven. There's revival on the way. In fact, like I said, I believe we're already in the edges of it. I don't know how many of you watch Flashpoint on the Kenneth Copeland Ministries channel, but Mario Murillo, who's been an evangelist for over 40 years, is just seeing amazing results on the West Coast in California. Yeah. California. Now, if he was, you know, in Tennessee or Alabama or somewhere, we might think, well, yeah. But in California, he's seeing amazing results. He's not the only one. Other evangelists out there are having tremendous services. He said, I'm seeing more fruit in my meetings now than in 40 years of ministry. So I'm challenging you. Pray the promises of God's word. Pray in, in other tongues, in the Holy Ghost, and ask the Lord to use your prayers to bring revival because we have to have it. We have to have it. We cannot afford for it to skip over this generation to the next one. This nation and our entire way of life is at stake. I mean, this is not... It's serious now. That's all I can say. I don't know any other way to say it. Without revival, what kind of nation will your children, your grandchildren... Your nieces, your nephews grow up in. And can we even last another generation as a free nation if we don't have revival? You know, we want to blame the people in the world for everything that's going on, but really, we don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. I mean, they don't have access to God. We're the only ones, we the believers, the Christians, we're the only ones that have access to go to God and pray and change things. 
But I believe if we do that, if we will pray, God absolutely will hear. And God absolutely will answer. And you say, why do you believe that? Because of Second Chronicles 7.14. And many of you can probably quote it with me. If my people, not the world, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the men and women of God who've gone before us, who yielded to your spirit and prophesied out what is coming so that we don't have to be surprised by it. We can know what's on, what's on your agenda, what's on your plan for the last days, Father, and we can have a part in it. In fact, you want us to have a part in it. You need for us to have a part in it because the way you've set things up, you cooperate with us and we cooperate with you in order to get things done in the earth. So, Father, we've heard your word tonight. We've heard the message tonight. And I just believe, Father, that every person here had a, an understanding heart, hearing ears. I believe that the seed of the word fell on good ground that will produce. And so, Father, we want to commit ourselves tonight to revival, to be the agents of revival, to help pray this revival in. To use our faith to believe this revival in, Father God, because our nation is depending on us. Millions of people who don't know Jesus, not just here in America, but around the world, are depending on us, Lord. I want to just ask you to do something tonight, if you will. I grew up in a full gospel church, and our pastors always like to get a commitment from us. After we heard a message... They wanted us to respond in some way, to commit ourselves in some way. We didn't just hear the message and shake the pastor's hand on the way out and say, good preaching, pastor, and get to the car and couldn't even remember what he preached on. So I want to ask you tonight for something, a commitment on your part. Now, I don't want you to take this lightly. You know, if you don't mean it, then don't stand. But if you're willing to commit yourself to pray for revival, I want to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. And I'm not even going to look to see who's standing. But Father, you see these that are standing, myself included. And we stand before you, Father, committing ourselves to pray for revival. To pray and believe you, Lord God, for this revival to come in this generation. In fact, to come soon. <laughs> Father, we commit ourselves and because we do, I thank you, Father, that the spirit of grace and supplication will come upon each one of us, Father. And where it's been hard to pray in the past, where it seemed like we were plowing concrete, I thank you, Father, that your spirit will take hold with us to help us pray about this because this is your heart, Father. The salvation of the world is your heart. And we want to take hold with you to see your plan and your purpose brought to pass in the earth. And so we thank you, Father God, for the commitment of each one of us. I thank you that you will remind us, Lord, from time to time to pray. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now I, I figure this is probably a believers meeting. Coming out on Wednesday night. But let me just ask this question. Is there anyone here. And you say I'm born again. But I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. With the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If so, this is your night. 
This is your night. I grew up in a full gospel church and they taught us to tarry on my lands. I tarried until I thought my hair was going to fall out for about three years. And then finally one night, just in pure frustration, I just began to fluently speak in tongues. And when I did, I thought, I could have done this years ago. You don't have to tarry to receive the Holy Spirit. You can receive immediately. So if you're here tonight and you haven't received and you want to, let me know and we'll pray for you and you'll be filled. Anybody? You got them all filled, pastors? I figured probably so. Baby, do you have something? Uh, yeah, if you've got pain in your body, let us minister to you. We can just get you to sit down right here. That way you don't have to be concerned. Where's the pain located, ma'am? All over. Have you had any kind of diagnosis? Fibromyalgia or anything like that? Okay. All right. Father, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, yes. we speak to pain. Actually, we speak to the root, yes. the cause of the this root pain. of it. We and release we the anointing to, to the root of the pain. Any longer, that's in right. the name of Jesus, we're so thankful, Father, that you revealed this. Now we thank you that you heal it. Yes. If Power. it is fibromyalgia, I take authority over it. If it's some problem with the nerves, I take authority over it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. That anointing goes to the root of it, bringing about a healing and a cure in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We say no more. No more. In Jesus' no name. No more. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. In every joint, a curse arthritis, any form of arthritis, any form of inflammation in this body, in Jesus' name, it has to go. Thank you, Lord. Everything in perfect balance in her body. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, were, were there certain things in your body, your, your legs, your hands, or anything that when you moved it, it would ordinarily cause pain? Your back? How about now? I didn't lay my hands there, but I could. <laughs> How's it doing? It feels okay? Good. Good. Did you have pain when you came up? But it's gone now. I just still want to address that. If you don't mind just leaning up just a little bit. Do you mind if I put my hand there? I always like to ask. Lower back. Right in here. Okay. Okay. In Jesus' name. Yes. I take authority over any form of degeneration. I say no herniated disc, no bulging discs. In Jesus' name, every disc, every vertebra in this spine, perfect. Restored. Everything in perfect Total position. In the name of yes. Jesus. Nothing pressing on a nerve. No inflamed nerves. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. We thank you that your power goes up and down this spine, making her whole, every disc and vertebra perfect in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for it. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 
the anointing into these shoulders into this both of them into the rotator cuff if there's anything there that's been torn I release the anointing to repair it thank you Father God for freedom of movement in her shoulders without pain Mm, thank you for that anointing working 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 If you wouldn't mind to lean forward just a little bit. Thank you, Father God, for the anointing going through this entire urinary tract. The kidneys, the bladder. In Jesus' name, I say perfect functioning. No infections, no inflammation, no stones. In Jesus' name, perfect functioning. Muscles be strengthened in that bladder in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It functions perfectly. Thank you, Lord. The anointing to yes, the root. Yes, in Jesus' name. The root of this problem. Yes, in we Jesus' say, no name. More. We command it to be healed. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, you said one more thing. The shoulders. Seemed like there were three things you mentioned. Yeah, okay. Well, that was, it was, it was in with the shoulders. Now, I want you to begin to move your shoulders some. Oh, okay. Rods, wow. You know, we saw God dissolve some rods in some, a couple of people. Just not long ago, we were up in Illinois, two or three weeks ago, and a lady had crushed her ankle and had uh, rods and screws, and then they had put a battery pack and planted it under the skin in her leg, and at the end of the night, she couldn't find any of it. She couldn't find the battery pack. She said, my ankle's been frozen for years, and she was moving it around. I'm telling you, God is moving. Yeah. How, are your, how are your shoulders doing? Can you tell any difference at all? Did that cause pain before? What about now? Is it still tender? Okay, let me lay hands on it again. All right. You say, well, wait a minute. Didn't you pray for her in faith in the beginning? Yes. And we're not praying in unbelief now. We're just administering another dose of the anointing. You know, if you go to the doctor with an infection in your body and that doctor prescribes antibiotics, when you take the first pill, all the symptoms don't immediately disappear, right? Sometimes you have to take three or four or five before you notice the change. What's happening is that's saturating your body. That antibiotic has to get in your bloodstream and saturate your body. And so what we're doing now is just applying another dose of the anointing to saturate this shoulder area, this rotator cuff. In the name of Jesus, yes, yes, yes. Total restoration, correction in this rotator cuff. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. I want you to move it some more.
what's going on. And you can be honest. You can give up, you know. I understand. Is there pain? A little bit of pain. Okay. So where are those rods anyway? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were put there because of some degeneration in the discs? Okay. I got you. Whatever needs to happen in these shoulders to cause this problem in the rotator cuff to be corrected, I release the anointing to make it so. In Jesus' name. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Working, Lord. We're thankful. That's right. That's right. Working at the root. Correcting. Correcting in Jesus' name. Thank you for it, Father. Uh, if you have to dissolve those rods, I believe you to do it. Thank you, Lord. The spine be straight in Jesus' name. No curvature in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Move it a little more. We're not going to keep you here all night. But something, you know, there's a, there's a gift of the Spirit called the working of miracles. And sometimes you have to work with the person and with the anointing. How are you doing? Now, you know how to keep that anointing working and activated? Thank you, Lord. The anointing is working in my shoulder. My shoulder is whole and healed. We thank, we thank him for what he's done so far, but I know he doesn't want to stop there. He doesn't want to stop there. Thank you, Lord. One more, and then we're going to move on. Thank you, Jesus, for that anointing. Thank you for what you've done to free it up. But we thank you for the whole total package in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You paid for it. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. You keep thanking him. Keep thanking him and keep moving it. Because that's your act of faith, is to move it. And you're going to find out it gets freer and freer and freer without pain. Amen. Yeah, we like to see instant things, but yep. sometimes it's a it's a recovery process. We'll take it any way we can get it. We just want the end result. You know, Amy Simple McPherson took a baby once. They brought a baby to her, and she looked down at that baby, lifted the blanket, and it, it didn't was didn't have eyes or I mean the, the face was just deformed. It wasn't formed properly. And so she didn't know what to do. I mean, how would what would any of us know what to do? And so she just sat down on the steps and she began to sing and praise God. And five minutes went by, 10, 15. People were getting restless. 20, 30, people were getting up and leaving. She just kept singing, kept worshiping the Lord. After 45 minutes, a whirlwind came down out of heaven over that baby. And when she looked down, its face was perfect. Create a miracle. But it didn't happen, you know, in 30 seconds. It took some time. Was that all you had, honey? Um, if you've got problems in your knees, 
in your knees. Anybody got problems in their knees? Yes, ma'am. We're not going to drag this out all night, but, you know, people need some, some help here. The right one. Did you injure it, or do you know what's going on there? Hmm, okay. All right. In the name of Jesus, I release the anointing into this knee. If it's a torn ACL, I release the anointing to repair it in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father God. If she needs cartilage, I release the anointing to grow cartilage in this knee. I thank you, Father, that the fluid balance in this knee is perfect. I come against arthritis or any form of inflammation in this knee in Jesus' name. And we say freedom of movement without pain in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm going to ask you to begin to move the knee. Something popped. <laughs> it's like Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, pop. So how about it? What, is there still pain there? You're, you're favoring it, I notice. As much as there was before? No. Okay, well, let's, let's lay hands on it one more time. Thank you, Lord. Some of it's gone. Now we release the anointing to complete the work. To complete the work in Jesus' name. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Move it some more. There you go. Well, Lord, we thank you. You're working in the knee. You're still walking a little different. Try, try not to favor it. Try walking just like you would if it was just like the other one. There you go. There you go. There you go. That looks a lot better. <laughs> Did you have anything else? All right, Pastor. Well, praise God. Uh, thank you for that message of Sangela. That, uh, that's a perfect fit for where our hearts are in this ministry. Amen. Uh, we teach about that on a regular basis, about uh, the move of God and the history of the church and how every generation has a right to see revival and, and uh, scriptures that talk about desiring spiritual gifts. And, and we've looked at the book of Acts and talked about and went through, showed how um, that uh, the, uh, the church always grew either as a result of the teaching of faith or as the working of miracles. And, um, and we're 100% aligned with that. And it's good to be exhorted, you know, to... She has a, a different anointing than I've got. So, you know, I'm, I'm more like this right here, you know, and she's like this right here, right? So, you know, it's, uh, uh, well, I'm just talking about, you know, the, the exhortation, the spirit of exhortation, you know, that's what I'm talking about. So, um, and so that uh, spirit of ex exhortation to exhort us to press in, to continue on in our faith and desire uh, is helpful for us, amen? Uh, it was uh, definitely encouraging to me uh, through that because, uh, um, you know, the 
the church at Ephesus started with 12 folks. Amen. We've got more than 12 folks here tonight. Uh, and uh, some of the greatest revivals. And, and I didn't really realize about uh, with uh, uh, Brother Seymour's church there at Azusa Street, to the mission there, uh, that it was such a small group because it went on for so long, but uh, people didn't stay. You know, they came and visited and, and went back to their uh, homes and carried a revival there. And so, you know, it's uh, uh, our desire and heart is to see God move in a big way. Amen. Uh, and uh, and it's, uh, you know, so many ministers have talked about the miracles or the dinner bell to the church, you know, that uh, uh, it brings the people in because, you know, they don't they don't desire to hear a Bible teaching. Now, the church does, you know, the, the Christians do, but uh, they 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 need help. Amen. And the church is the only source, you know, uh, uh, all these incurable things uh, that people can't uh, can't overcome. Uh, the churches and the Lord's the only answer for them. Amen. Uh, and uh, and so our faith is to, to continue to continue in that and to continue to pray in that direction that Lord send the rain because uh, he told us to do that. Right. Uh, and uh, we desire to see revival. We desire to see the miracles of God. And um, uh, because, you know, just even from a natural standpoint, uh, many times uh, uh, medical Problems devastate people's lives financially and emotionally. And uh, for years, people suffer under some of these things that God can uh, just uh, wipe away in, in a moment. Amen. Uh, and completely change the course and direction of people's lives. And so uh, and it's you know, he's such a good God uh, and uh, he's worthy of all worship for, for doing those things. Amen. Uh, and so 100 percent, we're all hooked up with that. Amen. And the desire to see that. And um uh, you know, Brother Hagen and other ministers talked about how every generation has a right to see the great moves of God. And uh, I love studying church history, but I want to become church history. Amen. I don't want to just read about it. I want to be that history, you know, for someone else to read about. It. Amen. If the Lord tarries, I want him to read about Dayton, Tennessee, you know, revivals in Dayton, Tennessee, you know, and uh, and uh, and see all these great, and wonderful moves of God. Amen. Uh, and so. Uh, uh, amen. We appreciate that that message, Miss Angela. It was very encouraging for for us, and and um, uh, and we'll continue the fight. Amen. We'll continue the course and and see the great move of God. Amen. Because you don't have to be anywhere in particular. Uh, he he'll move anywhere where there's a heart's desire. Amen. Remember, he said he looked for a single in intercessor in the whole world and couldn't find any. Well, if he found one in Dayton, he'd be pleased with that. Amen. And so. Praise God. Well, we're going to uh, get ready to receive an offering this evening, and, and uh, what we receive tonight will go uh, into the uh, ministry of uh, uh, Mr. Larry and Miss Angela Keaton as they travel through the country and, and bring the word of God and the message of the Lord, a timely message to the church. Amen. Uh, and the nice thing is we get to participate and uh, partake of the fruit of their ministry by sowing into, their, into the ministry of the finances that the Lord has blessed us with. Amen. Uh, and so... If you need to make a check, just make a check out to the church, Word of Truth, and we'll um, uh, write them a single check. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for the opportunity to give tonight. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give. We thank you that you've blessed us, Father, uh, and uh, with natural things. And so it's a small thing for us to sow these natural blessings into the ministry of Larry and Angela Keaton. Uh, and so, Father, we thank you that as they go forth and accomplish your will and plan uh, in their ministry, Father, that we get to take part in that by sowing into their ministry. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We call this uh, offering blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Come ahead, Mr. Jared. And uh, 
Uh, we didn't mention it, but uh, they did bring some materials on the book table there. So they have uh, several books and uh, tape uh, series, actually cassettes, you know. So he used to call them tapes, you know. Uh, they're they're um, CDs there. Uh, and so um, uh, help yourself to those at the end. I'm sure all the prices are marked on, on those uh, materials there. And um, uh, and if, if you want to know, if you happen to be around, I know we do have prayer service here on Friday night. Uh, but if you are interested in, in uh, going to Murphy, North Carolina, uh, and uh, be with them for the Saturday morning or the, and Saturday evening service, you're not allowed to go to Sunday morning service because you're required to be here, right? And so, uh, but uh, if you want to go on Saturday, let me know. I, I, we can get the information there for you. So, all right, praise God. Any other announcements? We good? All right. Pri- prayer Friday night, 7 p.m. right here. Amen. Uh, and, uh, and so while we're here, uh, we may, we'll make sure we pray for their services that they're having over in North Carolina. Amen. Uh, because, the, you know, the church needs this message and we need to be encouraged to, to keep the faith uh, and to believe God. You know, I mean, um, uh, there have been times and seasons in the earth where many decades have gone by. In fact, centuries have gone by without major revivals. And I think it's because the church wasn't praying. You know, well, we have the blessing to know that we can pray and that we have the opportunity to pray. Amen. Uh, and so we'll get to see that. Amen. Uh, and so be sure to greet them uh, before they head out and uh, visit the book table there uh, and, uh, and you're dismissed.